theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of uh, John, chapter 12, verse 9. John, chapter 12, verse 9. Praise God. John 12, verse 9. I believe what's going to happen today is a greater degree of understanding is going to be poured out upon us. With that revelation, it's going to be a stretching and alignment. I want you to reach out in faith. I believe the Lord's going to heal today and deliver, restore. We're excited about what he's doing. We have a baptism at the conclusion of today's worship experience. We give God praise for that. We celebrate that. And uh, I'm just thankful for what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. also want to invite you. We're going to have a whole lot more chairs in here next Sunday. We're going to pack this place out for the glory of God. So bring people, and we're just going to have, we're going to, our kids are going to immediately go downstairs to E-Kids. So don't worry, we've got it all logistically planned out. We've got an amazing Easter planned. You don't want to miss it, and your friends don't want to miss it. You don't want your family to miss it. So be here at 3 next Sunday. It's going to be a great time in Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll have invitations to you. You can grab some from guest services on your way out, and we'll get you squared away. John chapter 12 verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written. This was prophesied. Fear not, Dear uh, daughter of Zion, by the way, fear not is one of the most popular commands in Scripture. It's mentioned over hundreds of times. Fear not. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus uh, was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and had raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said amongst themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So many things I could preach here. <laughs> Praise God. But I'm going to preach today. Hosanna to the Lamb. Hosanna to the Lamb. 
Praise God. Would you one more time just lift those palm branches and just begin to open up your mouth and begin to just invite his presence in here. The glory of the Lord is in this place. Father, we release the gift of faith in this place right now, God. Do whatever you want to do. Pour out your glory, Lord God. Pour out your healing. Let there be such a strong manifestation of your presence. It's undeniable, God. We'll give you the glory. We'll give you the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Come on and give him glory in this place. Hallelujah. Hosanna to the Lamb. Hosanna to the Lamb. Woo! Clap those hands and give him praise. Praise God. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. What's unfolding before our eyes is fascinating especially for the Jews, because it would be Nisan, the 10th of Sunday. And it's the implication of this timing that, frankly, makes everything staggering. What I have loved is really peeling back culturally uh, what would unfold and what would take place in a cultural context for first century Palestinians and Jews. Jesus is simply days away from his death, but his death is not on the minds of those that are near. As a matter of fact, it's not really on anybody's radar. Even his intimate uh, disciples that knew him well did not understand. If you recall what I just read to you, they did not know what was happening. It wasn't until he had ascended into heaven and they had received his spirit that they began to connect the dots of this prophecy. But there are a couple of things on the people's mind right now. The first is that a great group of Jews had come to see him and Lazarus. Do you know one of the reasons why I believe Extraordinary Church is the fastest growing church in Canada reaching the world? Because it's all about Jesus. It's not the preaching, it's not the singing, it's not the music, it's not the amazing kids ministry, it's not the authenticity and the love that we have for others. All of those things are necessary, they're great, but it's because Jesus is here. We exist so that ordinary people can experience extraordinary life in Jesus. You won't find extraordinary in anything but Jesus. I'm here to let you know it's always been about Jesus. It will never stop being about Jesus. And if he be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. I want you to know that we don't need a dog and pony show. We just need to preach Jesus. You don't need gimmicks. You just need to preach Jesus. He can handle it. He can stand on his own because he is God all by himself. We're here to preach Jesus and him only, not politics, not conservatism, not liberalism. I'm here to preach Jesus and him crucified. Praise God. We always, we need this house to be full of Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. I want this place to be full of passionate followers of Jesus Christ, not of a particular ministry, not of a vision, not of a, not of, not of a group of people, but of Jesus. However, you do need to know, you've heard people say it before, you know what? I don't come to see you is what people say. I'm coming for Jesus. And I understand the motive and the heartbeat of that statement. But you do need to understand, people not only come for Jesus, 
they come for you as well. Look at John 12, 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Yes, they were there for Jesus, but they also wanted to see Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. Hear me. There are people that want to see what God has done in your life, extraordinary church. They want to see the resurrected marriage. They want to see the resurrected career. They want to see the transformation from addiction to freedom. They want to see the transformation from hopelessness to hope filled. They want to see in an up close and personal way the victory of Jesus in your life. Come on and give him praise. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all those that are watching online. I'm glad you're watching online. I'm thankful for this technology. But don't you thank for one single solitary moment that your presence in the house doesn't matter. You might not be serving on a dream team on, on a particular Sunday, but your presence matters. You matter. Your praise matters. Your testimony matters. Your story matters. You need to know that when people see you not giving up and raising your hands and giving out the glory, they know that God is moving in your life. They marvel at your hope. They marvel at your purpose. They marvel that a group of imperfect people can live an extraordinary life for Jesus Christ. You matter. You matter. I just feel like I need to stay here for a moment because the enemy wants you to think you have no value. This is why, oh my God, this is why the enemy doesn't want us to come together in the first place. Because he understands if we'll come together and you get around some people who have victory in Jesus and you begin to understand that if he did it for them, he can do it for me. If he healed her body, he can heal my body. If he fixed their marriage, he can fix my marriage. If he turned my family around, he can do it for you. I'm telling you, it matters when you're here. And the enemy wants you to think you have no value. The enemy wants to reduce our experiences to some metaverse where you do everything virtually. But the Lord says, the scripture says that in this climate that we are to gather all the more longingly looking for his return. Now is not the time for us to hunker down in houses and bunkers, and I'm not minimizing anybody doing anything that they feel like is appropriate, but I'm just telling you there is a scriptural urgency in my spirit that says we need to come together, and I've always been that dude. Every time the doors were open, I was going to come in and make sure that me and mine were in the house of the Lord. And I'm telling you that you have value. Your praise has value. Your testimony has value. Your purpose has value. And you are a living, breathing testimony of the goodness of God. And if you believe that, you ought to just wave your hands. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for his goodness and his kindness.
Praise God. So see the chief priest in verse 10 plotted to put Lazarus to death because on account of him, many went away and believed in Jesus. I'm, were some unhappy with Lazarus? Clearly. However, because of Lazarus' testimony, many of the Jews went away and believed in him. I'm declaring in this season overwhelming evidence and fruit of his resurrection in your life that will be so inviting, that will be so obvious that many are going to believe in Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. And so the story of Palm Sunday is recorded here in John. It's actually in all of the Gospels. And each one of them differs only a little in insight and perspective. But clearly, the narrative is ultimately the same. But why did God choose this particular day for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem? Was it just a random day? Did he have specific meaning to the Jews of that day? Stay with me here for just a moment because I'm going to try to give you some context culturally of what's unfolding. Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He enters Jerusalem on this Sunday. However, that would have been for the Jews the 10th day of Nisan on their calendar. Now, an important side note is this. The day to the, this day to the Jews was also known as Lamb Selection Day. In the Old Testament, on the 10th of Nisan, families selected their lambs in the late afternoon for Passover. Jesus also rode into the city late afternoon that day, offering himself as the lamb. Watch this. Mark 11:11 uh, 11, 11, it says, And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, Exodus 12 and 3, I want to set the stage for you in the Old Testament so you get an understanding of what's happening. It says this, tell the whole community of Israel on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Verse 6, take care of them until the 14th day of the month. In other words, four days, okay? When all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Lord have mercy. I told my wife, I said, how is it I've never heard of Lamb Selection Day that we call Palm Sunday? But the New Testament writers clearly understood the significance of this as they were schooled in the Old Testament or the Torah specifically. But Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Hebrews 7, 27, he sacrificed for sins once for all when he offered himself. And Hebrews 9, 28, Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Peter in 1 Peter 1, 19, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or spot. In the book of Revelation, 21 or 20 or more times it refers to Christ as the lamb. Revelation 5 and 6, John said it like this. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, 
standing in the center of the throne. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. This is amazing because Abraham did not even realize, well, maybe he did because the Bible says he looked afar off. But in Genesis 22 and 8, as he's getting ready to slay his only son, the promise, God, he says this, and I quote him, God himself will provide a lamb. Revelation 5 and 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And Jesus Christ is revealed. As our Passover lamb. Just to make sure we don't miss this. God in the flesh. Comes into Jerusalem. On the same day. That the Jewish people had been selecting their lambs. For the past 1500 years. Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. Four days before Passover. Isn't a coincidence. The lambs chosen for sacrifice by each family on the 10th of Nisan, the day that we call Palm Sunday, must be visible for four days before the Passover feast in order for everyone to observe and inspect the lamb's perfection. I could run around this place. During those days of inspection of the lambs, the perfect lamb of God was present daily at the temple. Oh, where everyone could see him, allowing himself to be inspected by the people. Jewish historians and Josephus in particular cite that the lambs during that time all came from Bethlehem and were brought into Jerusalem through the sheep gate. At that time, only the sheep from Bethlehem that had been raised especially for this purpose were allowed to be used for the selection. Okay. Isn't it amazing that our lamb was born in Bethlehem? Jesus entered along with all the other Passover lambs through the same sheep gate, according to Josephus. The Jewish historian tells us that there were probably 250,000 lambs that had been prepared for the Passover. Can't you see it? What an amazing picture of redemption. His hour had finally come. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is about to replace every natural lamb. the Lamb of God. He is your Savior. He is your Deliverer and your Healer. He is the Ancient of Days. He is the Captain of the Host, the Holy One, the Mighty One of Israel. He is the King of Kings and He is the Lord of Lords. And He doesn't just enter in the city in any old way. He doesn't come into the city the way that you would expect a king to come into a city. You got to understand the fight that's getting ready to take place here. You have to understand all of the cultural nuances because the people were expecting a king. And they wanted him to come in on some steaming white stallion prancing. 
But instead, he comes in meek and lowly. The Bible tells us that he's a young tender plant. That's what Isaiah prophesied. He came in and subjected himself. He made himself like us. He comes in and he's humble. And he enters the city. And people take note. Let me just tell you right now as a side note. The people that have true authority understand humility. Just because you have a title doesn't mean that you have authority. Just because you can yell doesn't mean you have anointing. And just because you have a gift doesn't mean that you have spiritual maturity. I'm trying to tell you the people that have authority are the people that have the fruit of the spirit abounding in their lives. I'm not talking about those that can get up here and be gifted and I'm not saying anybody is doing that. I don't believe they are, but can cuss the next minute. I'm telling you that might be gifting, but that is not anointing that breaks the yoke. That is not spiritual authority. What I'm telling you true spiritual authority is love, loving people that are difficult to love. Loving people that will talk about you, but you'll still love them. You won't put your lips on them. You won't harm them. You won't disfigure them. You won't slay them behind your back. That's what love is. I'm talking about having peace, the peace of God, ruling and reigning in your heart. When all hell can be breaking loose, you've got a confidence in him to know that he who kept you will deliver you from all from all calamities, I'm talking about long-suffering. Somebody that can weather the storm and suffer for a really, really long time. That is authority. That's authority. You want to know what authority is? When you're producing fruit. And the amazing thing about those that produce fruit, those seeds are planted. Planting a lot feels like a burial. But you ever had a seed, you notice when it breaks forth, it produces much fruit. It does what it's supposed to do. When you're connected to the vine, joy just comes out. Love just comes out. Peace just comes out. Kindness just comes out. Temperance, just self-control, these things just come out. That is true authority. I'm not tripping and I ain't, calling, I ain't calling nobody out in particular, but I've had it happen over 25 years in ministry. People come with business cards and introduce themselves as prophetess or prophet. I can just kind of tell you, when you come at me like that, we already know. I'm not calling you. I'm not calling you. But you know what? You don't got to flaunt it if you got it. What I want to do, I want to be a part of a people and I want to be that person myself that whether I'm yelling or screaming or whispering when I speak the name. Healing happens when I speak his name. Demons tremble and flee. When I speak his name, order is restored. That is true authority. Just like when millionaires, I was a corporate banker for years and there was a time when I managed the market in Charlottesville. I'll never forget this. It was somewhat of a rural market, agricultural, and uh, I used to tell folks and I would meet them at the branch. I'd say, hey, I'm going to meet you at the branch. I had to give, at, back in that day, we called them financial specialists. I had to give them and the tellers a heads up. Listen, this dude's about to walk in, and he's going to be in overalls and probably have some straw hanging out his mouth. Some hay. 
don't sleep on him, he's worth $500 million. Because the people that have it don't flaunt it. Don't believe everything you see on Instagram and TikTok. Those people are in debt. But real millionaires, which I know some, real millionaires are driving everyday vehicles, wearing everyday clothes, and they got more money than they can shake a stick at. I'm telling you, that's where real authority comes. You don't have to flaunt it. You don't have to boast about it. You don't got to let everybody know what you're doing on Instagram. You just know you've got Jesus, and that's enough. Help us, Jesus. But I don't want you to miss what's happening here. The road is extremely crowded. Hundreds of thousands. Josephus says millions of pilgrims were flocking into the city to begin the celebration of Passover. And how did people respond to the arrival of Jesus Christ? See, at the Sheep's Gate, a crowd of people began to throw their coats and branches down on the ground while shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. Hosanna in Hebrew means save now. And to us, when we think of waving palm branches, we oftentimes think of peace, but there's a whole lot more that's going on than meets the eye. God. If you'll just look behind the scenes, this is actually one of the most strongest political statements that the people could make. They were making a statement because throughout history, the Jews had been enslaved in captivity, bondage to the Egyptians Bondage to the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians. And now they're dealing with the Romans. But there was this militant group called zealots. And these zealots were in total opposition to Rome. They were in rebellion to Rome. In fact, if you know a little bit about them, they carried curved swords, and they were always on the verge of dealing with and trying to attack and get Israel to rebel and go into war with Rome. Zealots were consumed. They would be considered like today's ISIS. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it 100. These people, Rome, had to keep their eye on them and follow after them and track them. But do you know? The zealots were known as the people of the palm branch. And here the Jews are waving palm branches. Oh, God help us. And what I said to us seems like a symbol of peace. But in reality, the symbol for the zealot was a palm branch. This is how they identified themselves. What they were waving was a symbol of war. A symbol of war saying, our king is here. Shouting, save us now. Now watch this. 
The zealots were so intense, and you better believe they were all throughout the crowd. And not only were they all throughout the crowd, they were some of Jesus' followers. Simon was a zealot. You know who else was a zealot? Judas of Iscariot. This is why one of the reasons he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. He was trying to speed up the timetable because he thought Jesus to be a military king. So can you sense the intensity of the scene? These palm branches are waving with, and these zealots, they're like, yeah, we about to turn up. The ruling Romans see this as an act of war. It sends shockwaves through Israel, through the religious, throughout the religious elite. And there they were, they're afraid. The, the Pharisees are like, oh my God, what's happening? The Sadducees are panicking because they were in cahoots with the Romans. So they're like, this is why they were so fascinated and trying to get themselves aligned with Rome because they were putting their money on Rome and not on Israel. And Jesus is fully aware of what's happening. He was not ignorant to the fact or the reality that people were waving palm branches and that they were declaring a war. Listen, this is why Jesus began to weep. The Bible says he stopped and wept. Because, this is not me, this is the Bible, because he understood that Israel didn't realize that this was the time of their visitation. He's weeping because now he's coming as a suffering Messiah. He's coming into the city as the Lamb of God. He's weeping now because the people are waving palm branches and they're wanting a militant king who will lead them into war and finally overthrow these Romans. They were seeking deliverance. Let's sink in for a moment. They were seeking deliverance. Sound familiar? Since in bondage to the Egyptians, they're crying out for deliverance. Look at, look at this, John 12, 13. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, the King of Israel. This is the first time Israel calls Jesus their King. In so doing, they are saying he's the Messiah. And not only are they doing it or saying he's the Messiah because they called him King, but they're quoting Messianic Scripture. This is the first time they recognize him not just as a prophet, but as a king. So they're welcoming him, the king of Israel. They're quoting the 118th Psalm. Look at it. 108, you can look this up, verses 25 and 26. Save now, I pray, O Lord, O Lord. I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are, welcoming him. they are welcoming him to save them and to save them now. Now, I'm going to just set the stage here. 
got just a few more. I want to give you something. Watch this. If you go to the 107th Psalm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how the Lord records the pattern, the habitual cycle of what the people do. Just humanity, but in particular Israel. They wander away from God and they get in trouble. They cry out to God. He delivers them. They wander away from God. They get in trouble. They cry out to God. He delivers them. They wander away from God and get in trouble. They cry out to God and he delivers them. They wander away from God and get in trouble. They cry out to God and he delivers them. Look at this. Verses 4 through 8 in the 107th Psalm. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way. That they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. See verses 4 through 7, it summarizes. And if you read the 107th Psalm, you're going to see this on several different occasions. They wander away from God. They get in trouble. They cry out to God. He delivers them. But what God wanted them to do all along, open up their mouth and give him thanks. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works toward the children of men. This is repeated over and over in Scripture. And remember, they've been in bondage now. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, and now they're dealing with the Romans. They desperately desired that the king would lead them in military battle. But instead, he came as the Lamb of God. And there he is feeling rejection. He stops there and he begins to weep because he knew he would not become what they wanted. He would never be in that moment what they desired. Yet he also understood that the people who are calling him king right now would shout out, crucify him in just a few days. You know why? One of the things that embroiled their passion to scream, crucify him, because they felt so let down. They said, you didn't come like we thought you were coming. You must be a fraud. Crucify him. That's why they said, oh, he came to save us, yet he can't save himself. So he's weeping. He understands something more is going on. I just want to tell you, no matter what you're going through, he knows there's something more going on. See, heaven always has an agenda. That's why we desire here on earth. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we want the kingdom of heaven here. And Jesus is coming in now. He's weeping. He's brokenhearted. He's brokenhearted because he feels the sting of rejection. He's only fulfilling the prophecy because the Bible said he was destined to be despised and rejected of men. He said they failed to recognize me. They don't know I'm here to be their lamb. They have an agenda to be delivered from momentary oppression. But I've come to do more than just set people free from a temporary king's rule. 
I've come to set people free from the dredges of sin and bring people out of darkness into my marvelous light. He was weeping. Do you know why he was weeping? He was weeping because he knew he was not what they wanted, but he was what they needed. I'm here to let you know Jesus knows exactly what you need if you'll let him be that to you. He knows how to fix you. He knows how to restore you. He knows how to revive you. And I'm ready to tell you money won't do it. I'm not, I'm not dissing technological or medicinal advancements, but medicine won't do it. I'm ready to let you know that the answer is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. And his name is? Come on and give him praise. So, that's the natural lamb. But he's taken and he's observed by the family. For four days, the natural lamb is looked at. The natural lamb is inspected. For four days, the lamb of God is interrogated. He goes to the temple. <laughs> I told my wife, I kept running in and out of the bathroom. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, do you see this? I told y'all just recently, this is fascinating for me, that he went to the temple and he goes, y'all know he's flipping tables. And the Bible says he taught for four days. For four days. And his teaching, now watch this, watch this. The people were so enthralled with his teaching and the Pharisees, they said, the scripture says they wanted to kill him. But they couldn't because the people were enthralled. So for four days, the lamb is sitting right in front of them, teaching, sharing, and they can find no fault in him. He's willingly, can you imagine? I just want y'all to understand the nature of your king, praise God. That he would come doesn't have to subject himself to any of this. Yet he allows people to test them. I want you to know that you can test him and watch him show. He'll show you who he is. If you need peace, he is the peacekeeper and peacemaker. If you need hope, he is our expected end. If you need to know his goodness, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm telling you, you can test this Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He won't disappoint you. He won't let you down. You might be wondering and you might be saying, is there really extraordinary life in Jesus? I'm here to tell you, it's only in Jesus. And once you take and see of this extraordinary life you'll never let it go he'll never let you down he'll never disappoint you you need to just give him praise and trust him and watch God do it in your life somebody give him praise somebody give him worship I'm going to sit on this just for a moment to re-agitate this atmosphere because I feel like we need to understand what God wants to do in us. And in this season, we need to press on this a little bit and give him the glory do his name. Hosanna to him. We need the Lord to save and save now. I need him to save my family. I need him to save this city. I need him to save this region. And I need you to do it now. He's inspected. He's interrogated. 
At the same time, the natural lambs are being inspected and interrogated. It's amazing how these things coincide. They keep these lambs for four days to confirm there's no spot or blemish. And our Jesus, the Lamb of God, came. Ananias interrogated him. Caiaphas interrogated him. Herod interrogated him. Pilate interrogated him. The thief on the cross inspected him. But when they looked at him, they found he didn't have a spot or blemish. But he was the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Did Pilate not say, I find no fault? You'll find no fault with his hope. You'll find no fault with his love. You'll find no fault with his provision. You'll find no fault with his word. You'll find no fault in him. He is perfect and complete. His love will never leave you lacking. His purpose will never leave you unfulfilled. His dreams will never leave you unentertained. I'm telling you, his plans for you. There's not a problem with Jesus. There's not a compromise in Jesus. He's a holy God and he is a worthy sacrifice. That's why you and I can't let Jesus down. Because we were never holding him up. He was holding you up and he is a worthy sacrifice. We're not redeemed by our works. We're not redeemed by what we did. We're redeemed by the precious blood of a lamb of God who was slain for you and I. The lamb is here. What do I say? Hosanna to the lamb. Save and save now. And for some of you, there might be some of you who feel like the zealots. Lord, I need you to take war. I need to go to war right now. I need to go to war with my praise. I need to go to war with my trust. I need to go to war because of the hell my family is facing. I need the king of glory to save and save now. The things I'm up against, the things my babies are up against, I need the king to save and save now. Hosanna! 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 Hosanna to the Lamb! The precious blood of the Lamb. Without blemish or without spot. Today, we're about to declare Hosanna to the Lamb. I want you to stand all over this place. Thank you, Jesus. Hosanna to the Lamb. Hosanna to the Lamb. Hosanna to the Lamb. The perfect Lamb that was slain. You'll never find another like Jesus. 
the more I study and immerse myself in this book, the more I find how perfect it is. It is the infallible word of God. Yeah, people have said, it was written by man. It was written by man, but man is not the author. My Bible tells me that holy men of God move. As the Spirit of God moved upon them, they recorded the Word of God. You'll find no fault in this. From the beginning, you have to understand, from the beginning. See, I want you all to hear me for just a moment. In the beginning, this is, I'm fascinated by the Gospels. But in the last year or so, maybe a year and a half, you all have noticed I've preached probably Genesis 12 so many different times. But if you go back, God created everything. God spoke. He, he creates all of this stuff. And he creates man. He wants a relationship. He's got a covenant with man. And man, you all have heard me tell you this. He speaks to things and he says that, trees, or they come from the ground, and if you take a tree from the ground, it dies. It's teaching us a principle. The fish and all of those things that swim, they come from the water. If you take them out of the water, they die. What happened when he formed man and he breathed life into them? Into him, excuse me. He breathed life into him. And here you have the creation with the creator in an Edenic state. It was perfect. He created the garden just for them, or humanity, for us. He would be with them and connected. And, and then he says, Adam, it's not good for him to be alone. And so he creates a, a helpmate for him. Out of Adam comes woman. And now you know what? You have Adam and Eve. And Adam, Eve is tricked into thinking. That there's something missing. This is the problem with the Israelites. And I know we think that's the problem with the Israelites. This is the problem with us. They looked at him. Jesus and said something is missing. He's not as handsome as I thought he was. not as strong as I thought he would be. He doesn't command thousands of soldiers like I thought he would. This is how the serpent gets Eve. And he baits her into thinking that there's something outside of him. This is why Paul makes it abundantly clear that it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And that setting, you need to understand, is important because he's there on Mars Hill. Mars Hill, he is preaching to a group of Athenians who believe in so many different gods. They are polytheistic. And he says it's in him that we live and move and have our being. In other words, it's not outside of him. It's only in Jesus. And in this perfect state, when they take of that fruit, sin enters the world. Because now they think they're complete. And they realize there's this separation. Now the glory of God is no longer covering them. They're ashamed. They're, 
they're naked. They have a different understanding and sin. So they're separated. I want you to see this. But the Bible says when God doles out the punishment, he tells the serpent. That the seed of a woman will crush his head and bruise his heel. This is why. People think. I'm just going to tell you the truth. This is why abortion is spiritual. Because the enemy understands. This is why when you look at it, the Egyptians kill every child. Herod kill every child. This is why they offered them up even to Molech. Kill because the enemy understands that the one who is going to defeat him And from the beginning, the lamb. And throughout scripture, you see blatant glimpses. I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. Blatant glimpses like Abraham. God will provide himself a sacrifice. So the lamb shows up. And I want you to know, you're probably wondering today, what is the answer? The answer is a lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world for you and I for you and I a group of imperfect people he came and today he's here I want to thank everybody for watching online God bless you, thank you so much join us next Sunday you don't want to miss Easter in person it's going to be a powerful time God's moving in Jesus thanks for listening to our podcast Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.